0: Today on Substances, we are speaking to Danielle Markat. Daniela is a Berlin-bred correspondent who is working for Swedish radio, which reports and analyzes international news. As a journalist, she covers a wide range of topics, for which she finds it her duty to inform citizens with authentic, true information. In this day and age, when the press is currently under attack by governments, we would like to emphasize what journalists stand for. They give a voice to people who do not always have one. They also shed light on issues that persons or institutions in power often try to cover up. By delivering their viewers with a lens into such situations, journalists often provide us with the ability to stay informed, even if it comes at their own risk. Ultimately, journalists around the world embody voices of freedom. For our podcast, Daniela joins us back in Berlin a city that holds an extensive history not only in the eyes of the world, but also for Daniela herself. Today, we turn the mic around and have the season's interviewer become the interviewee, as she describes life in Berlin before, during, and after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Join us in listening to a pivotal piece of world history, and maybe it will inspire you to become a journalist like it did with Daniela Marcotte.
1: Can you please describe Berlin, the climate when you arrived in 1984, 1985, and what
2: side you arrived on? Uh, well, it was a, a completely different world, and uh, and the interesting uh, thing about Berlin at that time, of course, was that it um, consisted of two different worlds. The West being a very... Um, uh, Open, lively, dramatic, uh, artsy, colorful, flashy scene, and the east being very gray and dull and uh, smelled of coal uh, from the coal fired heatings. Uh, very, very quiet. It was the same city, but when, if you Got off the train station at Friedrichstraße, which was the at the border. You you walked into a different world where people weren't really talking and they were very skeptical and very suspicious if you approached them. So it's very very two different, very different worlds. And um, as I often traveled and did at that time as well by train, you you had to of course ride through East Germany since Berlin it was like an island in inside East Germany. So um, I I stayed on the west side, but I traveled a lot to the east too.
1: Did you have any trouble with the guards or checkpoints leaving and entering East Berlin?
2: No, not really. It was just a... Common, usual hassle. You were controlled. You had to wait in line for a long time and they checked your passport very in detail and every page. And it, it was just a, to mark that they were in charge. But what was very interesting was that there is a museum now at this train station which is called the Trainpalast, the, the Palace of um, Tears, because that was where people, families, friends, were separated when West Germans went to visit their families and relatives, friends in East Germany, that's where they met and where they were separated when they had to leave again, so there was a a lot of sad moments of people crying when they had to wave goodbye to their grandma or whatever and when you came there you had to walk you got off the train and then you had to walk up the stairs and down the stairs and, and along the aisles, it took A long time before you got to the actual checkpoint where you had to show your passport. Uh, I remember that very clearly. Now this place is made into a museum to about that time. And I went there and I talked to one of the guards and I told him, Oh, I was here in the 80s and I remember all the, the long ways you had to go. And then he opened a door and he said, Here's the other side, this is where you came from. Uh, But I remember all these corridors and all the stairs. Yes, he said, but uh, that was just to trick you, to trick all the people into believing that they were walking and and to make them um, disoriented so you wouldn't know where you were walking. (laughs) So actually it was only a distance of maybe 10, 15 meters, but but you walked in endless corridors just to to be sort of well disoriented
3: were you supposed to be disoriented so for the questions that were following up or
2: what was their point of making No it was disoriented? just so, so you wouldn't know exactly where you came from I mean it was obvious where the train yeah. went but but just you had the impression that you were walking to a place that was far away <laughs> I it mean, it's very makes silly.
3: The world of East and West Berlin like yeah. even bigger. Yes. <laughs> so, how did things change when the wall fell down? Was there a distinct change that happened, or was it more of a gradual change that
2: you saw? Well, the change yeah. is actually still happening now. Twenty what is it? Oh, Twenty nine yeah. years ago almost. Um, so, but of course, there was a distinct change in that sense that suddenly. I mean, after being closed in in this country the the sense of uh, being able to move freely when you want and where you want was it was overwhelming for the people who who were living in east germany and uh, but there was a lot of confusion in the beginning that they weren't sure this was going to last there was a great fear that any time they could close the wall again, because I mean, the, we talk about the fall of the war, but that's just a, a symbolic expression, the, the, the wall. It took a long time to actually tear it down because it was a wall in many layers and so on. But but uh, people were very confused and they weren't sure this was going to last, so, so they kept moving to West Germany even after the wall opened because they wanted to to live the the lifestyle that was available in the West and Mm -hmm. and wanted to be able to do what they wanted, study, work, and so on. So that sort of pushed the development, because in the beginning there was no talk about unifying Germany. There was a lot of opposition against that. France and Great Britain did not want a new, big, powerful Germany in the middle of Europe, They were totally against it. So there was talk about maybe some sort of federation in 10, 15 years' time. But um, as people kept moving to the West in thousands every week, there had to be a change. And so over the... Next months, uh, very rapidly, uh, from talking about a federation in 15 years, they were talking about, oh, maybe in five years' time, maybe we should unify, maybe we should do it next year, (laughs) Or, or this year, because the decision wasn't taken until 1990, just shortly before it actually took place. And there was also the important currency reform when the Deutsche Mark was introduced in East Germany as well. That was a way to stem the the movements.
3: Being a journalist, do you think that played a huge role, just media in general, played a huge role in the movement towards the West? Or do you think media was not that important in just the whole influence. I mean, during the Cold War, we always talk about how they both fed media to both sides, and that's something
2: we talk about here as cultural diplomats. Yeah. Well, in a way, media played a role, but but also, I mean, considering uh, that, in, in especially in Eastern Europe, there was no free media and people had access to information about uh, the, the situation and the, the, the way of life in, in the West, uh, so even though the media in, in the East try to portray developments there as very successful and very glorious and, and so on, it didn't convince people, <laughs> so there you can see how, um, how you can't uh, control media, it makes people suspicious when what they experience in their daily life is not what they read about in the newspapers. So it didn't really affect in that way. But, but then one important thing in, in Germany was uh, that uh, p- people did, even though officially they did not have access to Western media, but they could uh, watch Western television. It was forbidden, but many did it anyway. And that, of course, gave many people uh, an insight into the way of life in the West.
3: Were you by any chance present when the Berlin Wall fell?
2: Not on that actual day. I was in East Germany a few weeks before, in October, during the, these great marches, demonstrations in Leipzig, the Monday demonstrations. I, I was there on one of those, a huge demonstration where there was a lot of fear that. Uh, the military might uh, intervene and that there would be violence and uh, the, there had been preparations. They had built up emergency hospitals to take care of people who, who were expected to be injured. But this didn't happen, luckily, but there was a very nervous feeling. And then I came back to Berlin in December, so that was uh, a month after the the, the war had opened, and um, it was a, such a special feeling. I, I, I entered uh, in eastern uh, Berlin, and I walked towards Brandenburg Gate, which is on the border, a very symbolic place, and uh, there was quiet, uh, no people on the streets. I walked unter den Linden, the very the largest boulevard. There were no people. It was very weird feeling, because it was in the evening, but not that late. But you could hear this... Tick, tick 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 this little dingy noise it was growing and growing growing and then when I came uh, when, and closer to the wall other people stood there with their hammers and chopped off little bits of the wall and and there was this chopping chipping sound it, it was so special <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, so, uh, there were so many people and uh, everybody was there <laughs> it was
1: So where were you when you heard that the wall
2: fell? How did the media portray it at that point in time? I I was sitting in my bed watching television and watching my, my... Watch because I knew the last night train to Berlin would leave at 10 after 11, and I was sitting there, should I go? No, and I couldn't pull myself away from the television because I was just watching these scenes from the wall. It was amazing, it's totally incredible that this happening. So I, I couldn't decide, should I stay here and watch, or because still at that time you didn't know. Will the military come in now and, and just close it down? Uh, many people who left, who, who passed um, through the wall, they didn't know if they were being would be able to come back. And maybe they, I mean, there are many examples of families. They left their children at home. The mother and the father went out, and, and they didn't know. Anyway, so I was sitting there, and I, so I didn't want to miss anything, And still I wanted to be there, and I couldn't make up my mind. So I ended up staying in Stockholm. Um, Then a few weeks later, I went to Berlin.
3: Oh, your heart was
1: in Berlin. I was (laughs) definitely in Berlin.
2: It was unbelievable.
3: So this was at the beginning of your journalist career, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, During this time, was your work censored at all? Especially after the fall of the Berlin Wall. I don't know if there was still some type of censorship in the way that you...
2: You mean when I was in Germany? Yeah. no, no. No. No, and n- not at all i mean i was always working for swedish media and and there was no censorship whatsoever w- one interesting experience i had was i worked with a swedish colleague uh, this was before this was in the spring 1990 the, the wall had opened gdr east germany still existed as a country and it wasn't uh, it was still not decided if and when the unification was going to take place and, and we were doing a report about the situation in uh, healthcare service. So we were going to visit some hospitals and talk to to people who worked in, in healthcare. But we wanted to. We needed to get um, a permit from the health ministry. And uh, in order to to get this permit, they wanted us to do an interview with them, which we did. And I don't know if we used their statements, but of course we did. So there was a, some sort of secretary for health services uh, we interviewed and, and his assistant was sitting next to us. My, my colleague didn't understand any German so I did the interview in German and then I translated a bit for, uh, during the interview into Swedish for her and uh, at some point that minister or secretary said something just the typical propaganda so I told her she has oh what did he say what did he say and I said ah, ah, you know it's just I didn't use the word propaganda because it's the same in German but I used something <laughs> in Swedish that would imply that oh, this is nothing to take seriously and um, oh, the interview went on and then after a while there was another similar uh, situation where I needed to translate something and then the assistant in perfect Swedish corrected me. (laughs) So I realized I mean, his his role was to sit there and control what we did and uh, to let us know (laughs) that he knew what I was saying in Swedish. (laughs) So that was that was a typical situation that I mean it would not happen uh, would not have happened in, in Western Germany or West Berlin. So. so, looking back
3: to 1989, what what significant changes can you tell us in, in East Germany or West Germany or Berlin specifically? What what did you experience the major changes after the fall of the Berlin Wall?
2: Well, I mean, it was a revolution. It was a, 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 a total revolution. The whole society changed. Uh, so, so it's it's hard to, to point at, at one specific detail, but I mean... And what was so special about the German unification was the fact that there were two Germans. I mean, this was a, a development that went on in the whole of Eastern Europe, but there was no West Poland or, or West Hungary that could help the, these countries. So, it was a very special situation. Having two Germany's that were uh, uniting, and the Eastern Germans feeling the the brunt of the, the the changes and and the the difficulties. Of course, I mean, for many people in West Germany, life went on as usual. They didn't feel experience anything. They had to pay a bit more tax, <laughs> still do, <laughs> but I mean that was a, a very very small sacrifice if you compare to what happened to many many East Germans who lost their job, who their whole existence was just gone, and they they had to pay a very very high price. And many people, especially those who were maybe in their... Forties who who were established uh, in their work, and who suddenly had to reinvent themselves to find a new sort of identification and a completely new economical political system. Where they had no way of orienting in, in, in this new circumstance. And and if you're that age, I mean you still have a lot a lot more years to work, but but still, it's it's maybe hard to change. And f- for many of those people, it was very difficult to find a new job to, to maybe re-educate. And, and, and that's what we still see today, is some of the concerns and, and disappointments uh, that we see in, in, in the nationalist movements like PEGIDA and uh, the, the Alternative for Germany, the, the right-wing popular party. Consists of, of a lot of these people who are, are very disappointed with how things developed. It's not that they they are not saying that they want the old system back, but they sort of lost what they had and 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 feel that they are not respected and, and so on. So uh, it, it was such a total change, and and to see that happening what was very interesting, of course, as, as a journalist and. Uh, as a person with roots in Germany, as I have. uh, It was was very interesting to live here and uh, see that.
1: So today, if you walk along the East Side Gallery, unfortunately, within the past year, it's been fenced in. And actually, someone took to writing on one of the murals on the backside. so it's not obstructing any work of art. Out of all places, even the Berlin Wall is fenced in. So, looking forward, what do you believe the world can, or better yet, should learn from Berlin's wall?
2: (laughs) Well, walls always come down, so don't even build them.
0: Thank you for listening to Substances today. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show as much as we did conducting the interview. Daniela provided us not only with a glimpse into Berlin's infamous history, but also demonstrated how information extends beyond borders, and just how crucial it is to have access to such information. Now, it is our duty as citizens of the world to continue to seek out and to listen to these stories in order to stay informed. As a follow-up, we will feature an article later this week on freedom of the press that showcases what it looks like around the world, as well as the importance press plays in politics, shaping our views, and so forth. If you enjoyed today's show, please write us a review on SoundCloud Like our page and send us an email at dosageofrepartee at gmail.com. Let us know which dosage of repartee you would like to hear next on substances. See you again soon.